welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 136. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. If I can read a calendar correctly, and no guarantees there because this kind of snuck up on me, but I believe if you're listening to this episode as it comes out, you are enjoying the Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., And if you are, I hope that you're not excessively laboring. And if you are listening to this while laboring on Labor Day weekend, well, just enjoy the sweet irony of that. And, uh, I don't know, uh, enjoy cashing a paycheck, because that's always a good thing, right? Alright, so what's going on, guys? Why don't we get right into our favorite time of the week? Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Yes, it's time once again to enjoy a Mad Mike Hughes update. The other day, somebody posted a meme on Facebook, and it was a pseudo-article, fake article, with a photo of the Earth squashed into donut shape. And for a fraction of a second, I thought maybe this was some sort of splinter group that had broken away from the flat earthers and now had some other weird idea about what the earth was shaped like. But no, it was all fake. But the fact that just for a fraction of a second, I thought there might be people out there espousing the donut earth view. It just kind of gives you an idea where the respect for science is in the world today. Let's see. Checking in with our friend Mad Mike. Doesn't look like much has happened. At least he hasn't reported much in the last week. Uh, I think I mentioned last week that he had said that he had signed with a production company to work on a program about amateur space travel. And he was still working on the Mad Mike stunt bunny toy. Uh, No new news from Mad Mike since then. So I guess the Earth is still not flat, but I'm sure he's still taking donations. Alright, well, short and sweet, I guess. Thus concludes this week's Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Alright, last week on the show, I mentioned the, what I'm sure is now a very familiar clip from the Conan show where Conan O'Brien does his Clueless Gamer segment, and he did one uh, basically making fun of a bunch of Atari games in the Atari console. So I guess I kind of had Conan on the brain when I saw this article, uh, I think it was on Uproxx, indicating that he is changing the format of his show. Since moving to TBS, even though he is at the uh, 10 p.m. Central Time, 11 p.m. Eastern slot, unlike the network's, that are, you know, 10.30 or 11.30, depending where you're at. He has kept basically the same format as those shows, at least last time I watched. I like Conan, but I haven't watched for a long time. Monologue, comedy bit, guests come out, an actor probably, maybe a musician, uh, maybe a sports figure, uh, and then some sort of musical guest doing a song at the end of the show. Pretty typical late-night talk show stuff. But now, apparently, they're going to revamp things and he's going to have, instead of an hour, he's going to do a half-hour show, reportedly by choice, not like a demotion. It basically means they're not going to do, they're not gonna do a, a musical act. 
they had to cut something, right? You cut down from an hour to an hour, something's got to go. I'm trying to find the article here. Actually, now that I look at this article, it's an indicator of how out of it I've been with the Conan O'Brien juggernaut. It turns out this article is about four months old. But the changes that I'm talking about aren't going to happen until 2019. He's still going to have guests, he's still going to interview people, he'll do segments like the Clueless Gamer, or the stuff where he goes out into the real world and makes fun of people, basically. A lot of those segments generate a lot of views online, uh, something like 3.4 billion. So I'm guessing that's where they see sort of the future of the Conan show. They're going to produce more content for the web, can do more tours, stuff like that. So, no, that really has anything to do with video games, other than they're still going to do Clueless Gamer. But, like I said, I had Conan on the brain, and that caught my attention. So, all you Conan heads, you get that sort of half-reference to the Cone heads from Saturday Night Live. I am with the kids, yo. Um, so, there you go. There's your Conan update for this week. Uh, don't worry, I don't expect Conan O'Brien updates to become a regular feature on the show. But, you never know. What else? Oh, this, I was... So excited when I saw this. Galaga, or if you like, Galaga, is coming to TV. This is right up the alley in which Atari Bytes dwells begging for loose change. Super high-profile writer-producer Robert Orsi, or Orki, I honestly don't know how to say that, Emmy-winning animation studio Shadow Machine are combining with digital studio The Nuttery Entertainment to create an animated sci-fi series called Galaga, or Galaga, Chronicles, based on the Bandai Namco's arcade game. The project was announced at last year's Comic-Con. It's going to be a 12-episode first season, probably sometime in late 2019 or early 2020. They are still, at this point, looking for a distribution deal. According to the up, uh, not Uprocks, Deadline.com article, Orsi worked with the Nuttery to shape the vast and sprawling Galaga, Galaga Chronicles. Universe will also serve as an executive producer. Orsi, of course, is known for films like The Transformers, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, Star Trek, and created television shows Sleepy Hollow and Scorpion. He'll also serve as executive producer. They quote him in this article saying, uh, Galaga is one of the games I played growing up. I have fond memories of the quarters and hours upon hours I spent playing the game. I look forward to working with the Nuttery and to capture that magic in an, an exciting new format. Shadow Machine produces TV shows like Bojack Horseman, which I'm a huge fan of, Robot Chicken, which I keep meaning to watch. It's been on forever, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. Uh, and Final Space, which I've never heard of. Uh, they're going to do the animation. And CEO Alexander Buckley says this is by far one of the best video ga game adaptations I've ever read or been part of. The Nuttery is also super excited. They are, in fact, stoked to have this level of creativity and craftsmanship on board our space adventure. No details in this article, anyway, about, you know, what the show's going to look like. We know it's going to be animated. But who the character is going to be, or what the storyline is going to be, or any of that. None of that in this article. I don't know when we'll get those details. I will try to keep an eye on it so that I can share more with you as I know more. Uh, because stories based on video games, eh, that's kind of what we do here. So, uh, so I am uh, stoked in the words of Nuttery CEO Magnus Jansen. And you know, uh, Nuttery and Robert Orsi and Shadow Machine... I know how to write stories based on video games, so yeah, and I'm available. So if you want to give me a call or send me an email, ataribytes2016 at gmail.com, uh, let's talk. Uh, you might be able to work something out. And you know, if uh, any of you listening wanted to, to at any of those folks on Twitter, 
suggest, you know, maybe the Atari Bytes guy might be uh, good for an episode or two. I'm not saying you should do that, but, you know, think for yourselves. Form your own uh, plan on that. Just saying. Alright, well, enough talk about Galaga, or Galaga, or Galaga. That game that starts with G, for now. Um, but I hope not for the last time. Um, I'm going to get my, uh, my writing pen ready to start writing some stories. Maybe they take a spec script. Hmm, I'll have to think about that. Once upon a time, in a land called Galaga, Captain Gilligan climbed into his great galloping ghost ship. Alright, the idea needs some work. I'll give it some thought. Alright, well, let's, in the meantime, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Shark Attack from Apollo, 1982. Evidently, this game is AKA Lockjaw from 1981. Yes, much like Michael J. Fox and Stan Laurel and other famous people, Shark Attack had a former name. It was Lockjaw. And I gotta be honest, I think Shark Attack, much better name. Although, the, the fun of Lockjaw, the name, is in the spelling. If you just listen to it, it's like, it, it's a game about some sort of dental problem. But no, if you look at the spelling, it's L-O-C-H-J-A-W. Lock, as in Loch Ness Monster. And as you know, if you played this game, and I'm guessing most of you listening have, um, the Loch Ness Monster plays a ca- provides a cameo in the game. So that's kind of clever. This game also, Shark Attack, serves as our much-belated Sharknado 6 tribute. I'm a bad podcaster and Sharknado fan, because the fact that Sharknado was on a couple weeks ago totally went by me when I was putting together the production schedule for the podcast, and I should have done this game the week that Sharknado came out. The movie was fun. I think I talked about this last week, but I don't remember how much. So, I'll just say, the movie was fun. Sharks vs. Dinosaurs, seeing that was cool. Sharks in Medieval England. But... Really, Sharknado 5, although the ending of that movie was left open, I guess specifically so they could make Sharknado 6, the movie itself, 5, I mean, felt more like a final installment, and they should have kind of ended it there. Plus, early promotional spots for Sharknado 6 promised us time-traveling Nazi sharks. Where the hell were the time-traveling Nazi sharks? I waited the whole two hours of this movie, and I didn't see anything, like a Nazi shark. Nazis. In the game Shark Attack, you are a deep sea diver in search of a fabulous treasure of diamonds that spilled from the hold of a Spanish galleon that sank during a fierce storm in the early 16th century. If my reading is sort of halting, I am doing this without my glasses, mostly because I'm too lazy to go get them. You dive deep into murky darkness of the murky darkness of Davy Jones's locker and enter the shark-infested maze of kelp to retrieve the, retrieve the treasure. You know your mission is rife with danger, the menace of the man-eating sharks that patrol the kelp beds, the lurking menace of the legendary Loch Ness Monster, a beast that will pursue you relentlessly if you dare invade its territory, not unlike Donald Trump. Sorry, that was political. All you Trump fans, just pretend I didn't say that. The setup. Shark Attack is played with one or two players using the joystick controller. Be sure the power is off when you insert or remove the Shark Attack cartridge from your video game system. If you don't know that basic fact, why are you spending your time listening to a video game podcast? Maybe there there should be a podcast. You know, all these podcasts, all of them except mine, are are by people 
who know a hell of a lot about the history of video games and how video games are made and how the consoles are built and the differences between the different consoles. Not me, of course. Uh, I'm still playing catch-up, even after a couple years of doing this podcast. But maybe there needs to be a podcast for, like, Atari 101. Just the basic nuts and bolts. Here's what a, a video game cartridge is. Here's what a console is. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. I'll bet there's some newbie game players who would love that. Here's what Pitfall is. Here's why you should care about Yars Revenge. Pong. Here's why Pong, which, which looks really stupid in comparison to today's games, here's why it was such a seismic event in popular culture. I'd listen to that show, even though I have a modicum of knowledge at this point. Anyway, when you set the difficulty switch to the B position, your diver moves rapidly through the kelp. But in the A setting, he labors slowly against a heavy current, and your challenge of acquiring a fortune while eluding death is much greater. Okay, so in the field report, I griped a little bit about how hard it was to move my guy, and I think maybe that's because I was in the A position, but I didn't really pay attention to it before I started playing. To provide a handicap advantage for a less experienced player in a two-player game, assuming someone you actually like, you may adjust the positions of the difficulty switch. Simply place the switch in position B for the inexperienced player, and in position A for the veteran. Elder joystick, controller, here we go, my favorite instruction ever, so that the red fire button is in the upper left-hand corner. Use this button to uh, close the shark cage door to protect your diver in the game, in the games that allow it, while you use your joystick to control your diver's movements in eight directions as illustrated above. Right, can everyone see in the back? All right. Try to keep your diver in the middle of the murky channels through the maze of kelp because he can easily become snarled in lush green tendrils of kelp that will impede his movement. All right. Not to criticize, but on the screen, the kelp is green, but it is neither lush nor tendril-esque. Just saying. The screen shows one player's score on the left, the other player's score on the right, and in the middle, the current turn score... What? And in the middle, the current turn score of the player... Oh, the current turn score of the player competing at that time. Players score one point for each diamond gathered. In the gobble game... The central score reflects how many diamonds the diver is carrying with him, and is added to his permanent score when he returns to the shark cage. If he ever does, exclamation point. Can I just pause for a minute and say that I don't know what the game would be, but I would totally play an Atari game called Gobble Game. Maybe they already made that and they called it fast food. Anyway, in the pick em up game, the central score reflects how many diamonds have been deposited in the shark cage and is added to the player's permanent score when his turn is completed. In the one-player mode, the game is over when a player's three divers and shark cage... This doesn't make any sense. Basically, when you lose your three divers, the game is over. In the gobble game, he collects them, meaning the diamonds, by swimming over them one after another. They will be counted permanently when he returns to the shark cage with them. If he waits too long, he may be eaten by a shark, and the points for the diamond he's gathered will be lost forever! Exclamation point. Players may also decide whether the shark cage door is always open, is controlled by the diver, is open and closed at random, or is rotated to different sides of the cage. I could not, I didn't really talk much about it in the, I guess, gobble game that I was playing. I guess the cage door is always open. Maybe that's why I couldn't really see it. I could never really tell when I had a cage and when I didn't, or where the cage was, or uh, really what the hell was going on. I was mostly just confused because the screen looks like Pac-Man. But it isn't Pac-Man. So, anyway. Sharks move across the maze and are not bound 
by it as the diver is. One more, on each pass, if a shark encounters any diamonds, he will eat one. Jerk. If a shark bumps against the shark cage, he will remove one diamond from the cage. Double jerk. A diver is safe from the sharks when he is in the shark cage and the door is closed. He cannot kill a shark, so his only other defense against the, these deadly denizens of the deep is to stay alert and swim quickly out of their way. So every second of the game, you must decide between your diver's safety and how many diamonds he collects. It's all about the diamonds, yo. When the diver encounters one of the four corner caves, he will immediately and unpredictably reappear from any of the four caves. Note that the top, of, the top two cave entrances are horizontal, and your diver will enter them moving to the left or right. The bottom two cave entrances are vertical, and your diver must swim down through the entrances, then turn to the outside of the screen at the bottom, entering the cave to the left or right. I could not, I think I found the horizontal ones, I could not find the vertical ones in the little bit that I played before recording today. Loch Ness Monster, beware, all caps and exclamation point. You cannot kill Nessie. When she is disturbed, Nessie appears from one of the four caves, and she will continue until your diver leads her back to one of the four caves, whereupon she will enter and go back to sleep. Note, the shark cage is no defense against the awesome strength of Nessie. Uh, and they have a little chart here showing you the attributes of the various different games. Number of players, cage door open, open close, diver control or rotate, uh, and then the game play, game play, either gobble or pick them up. These various com uh, combinations are provided to you among 16 possible games. I was playing game one in the field report, which meant it was one player with uh, an open cage door, and it was a gobble game. I have not played around with the different combinations of attributes, I leave that to you to do in your own time. Wikipedia, my old substitution for actual knowledge, does not have, shockingly, a page for the Atari port of Shark Attack, but on the Sharks in Popular Culture page, it does list uh, a shark, it does list the game Shark Attack as a thing that exists. So there you go. How many of us can say that Wikipedia has listed us as a thing that exists? Hmm? The video game critic called Shark Attack an underwater version of Pac-Man, but terribly unimaginative, and the gameplay bites. B-I-T-E-S, by the way, not B-Y-T-E-S. The visuals don't look so bad with inviting blue water and some nice tropical island scenery. The green reef maze is unusual in shape with a lot of odd nooks and crannies. To score, uh, you know, you pick up the diamonds, scare it around, but to score you have to return to the shark cage in the center of the screen. But if that's a shark cage, why do sharks swim right through it? Most of the game's variations have to do with how the cage's door opens, which is totally inconsequential. Poorly rendered sharks look like gray blobs. I'm going to take exception to that. I actually thought the sharks looked okay. Not great, but okay. You're constantly getting hung up on the walls, and poor collision detection makes it difficult to squeeze through narrow openings. Sometimes it seems like an invisible wall is in your way. The four corners of the maze are supposed to be portals, but you'll have to wrestle with the joystick to get them to register. Occasionally you're chased all over the place by a Loch Ness monster who looks like a pink octopus. Sound effects are crazy. Shark Attack had the makings of a respectable budget title, but it couldn't even get the basics right. Grade D. Alright, well, after the break, they say if a shark stops swimming, it'll die. If we stop doing this podcast, uh, well, let's not finish that thought. Boy, Jimmy, they say this new 
immersive experience at Corporate Theme Park USA really puts you up close and personal with the undersea world. And you can even pick up precious gemstones as souvenirs on your way. Look, there's one. It's all shiny. Come on in. The water's fine. Splash, 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 splash. Oh, there's another one. And another one. Hey, what's that over there? I see something moving. Is that... Is that... Oh my god! Ah! Okay, so... I'm looking at the screen for Shark Attack. And basically, we've got Pac-Man, right? Except instead of the cute little yellow pie shape, we've got a thing that looks vaguely like... Uh, I don't know, some sort of crab? Or jellyfish? kind of thing, which I guess is supposed to be your scuba diver. Alright, let's just see what we're getting into. Wow, that's really annoying uh, sound effects for the shark. I guess they couldn't do it away with using the da 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 The shark looks good though. I can definitely say, yeah, that's a shark. Um, it's a little weird that you have to that's not like a, a maze full of pellets. Sorry, diamonds. The scuba diver's movements are a little blocky for me. I guess that could be my joystick. So now I guess I gotta find one of those caves. Ooh. Either I found a cave or I just destroyed Cleveland with a nuclear bomb. I'm not sure. And now I guess I'm in a different room? Cave? I don't know. It looks exactly like the other one. Okay, I got all the diamonds. Now what? I'm a little murky on what you do when you finish the screen. Now I'm going to a different room, which again, looks just like the first one. There's nothing here. Okay, what do I do now? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Okay, that has absolutely nothing to do with this game. So, that Sharknado 6, that was something, huh? Seriously, I don't know how to end this game. I've read the manual, I don't know how to end this game. So you know what? Back to you in the studio, you guys can figure it out. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. So here's the thing about Shark Attack. It kind of feels unfinished. Or like, they wanted to use a Pac-Man framework, because you look at the screen and boom, you think Atari's port of Pac-Man. The coloration is even kind of the same. But it seems like they wanted to make an adventure-style game, as in the game Adventure, or some other quest game. No, that was coming to mind, but I can't remember what I'm trying to think of. But, you know, other quest-type games. 
but they, they tried to stick it into a Pac-Man framework. And mashing the two styles of, of game doesn't quite work. Uh, it ends up not being very satisfying as either a Pac-Man type game or an adventure game. So yeah, I'm kind of disappointed in this one. I don't even know that spending more time with it would change things. So that's a bummer. But you know it's not a bummer? This week's story. Hey, it just occurred to me. It's kind of like it's Shark Week here on the podcast. Wait, hold on. Is Shark Week copyrighted? Probably is. Alright, forget I said that. This week's story is titled, Card Shark Attack. The intrepid deep sea diver flip-flopped across the pier toward the waiting boat. Through his face mask, he spotted a pelican perched on the perfectly coiffed and blow-dried hair of a slumped figure below it. The man had wide jacket lapels and held a super-thin microphone on a long cable that wasn't connected to anything. And the man was grinning at the deep sea diver with perfect white teeth. Do I know you? The diver asked. The strange man shrugged. Did you used to watch daytime TV between 1976 and 79? Now the diver shrugged. A feat made more difficult by 35 pounds of oxygen tank on his back. Maybe if I was home from school sick or something. Typical, the stranger said. So, where are you off to? The man glanced down his wetsuit, then said, Ballet dancing. Funny, the man said, chuckling. That and not crapping your pants will get you on the show. I'll remember that, the confused sea diver said. Well, I'm off to the sunken Spanish galleon to find lost diamonds. Fabulous prizes just waiting to be won. Strike that. Fabulous prizes just waiting to be won, eh? The man said. Sure, the diver said and flopped away. See you after the commercial break, the man said, then slumped over. The deep-sea diver lumbered aboard the boat that would take him out to where the Spanish galleon was thought to have gone down. The captain was waiting on the deck, wearing a well-worn captain's cap and a floor-length sequined dress. Deep-sea diver, come on down, she said, really loud. It was weird. The boat got underway and soon reached the coordinates where the galleon was thought to be. As the deep-sea diver prepared to go over the side, the captain said, Let's make a deal, deep-sea diver. All right, the diver said, confused. Now, the captain said, you could go over the side right here. She gestured elegantly at the bow of the ship. And you could possibly find a treasure trove of diamonds. Or you could take what's behind door number two. She pointed elegantly to a door standing in the middle of the deck with a big number two on it. How'd that door get there? The diver asked. Charlie, the captain said, tell him what he could win. Who? The diver started to ask. Well, a booming voice from the cloud said, Deep Sea Diver, you've won in all expenses paid, by you, trip to Davy Jones' locker, where you think you'll find lost pirate treasure. You've also won a hungry band of card sharks, the fiercest predators of the briny depths. And you've also won a set of his and her luggage and monogram steak knives. What? The diver said. Thanks for playing. Bye-bye, the salty, fabulously dressed sea captain said and gave the diver a shove. The ocean swirled around the diver, his fate cast to the depths, the current spinning like a wheel around him. A wheel of fortune, if you will. Thick ropes of kelp parted, the ocean floor illuminated by stage lighting and gaudy bright-colored coral arranged like so much stage decoration, but in an intricate maze formation. Diamonds glittered on the ocean floor. The diver was drawn to them. Humans like shiny things. Within moments, the sharks appeared. A foursome surrounded him, speaking in unison. I'm Bob Eubanks, one said. Another said, I'm Pat Bullard. The third, I'm Bill Rafferty. And the fourth, I'm Jim Perry. And then, in unison, Welcome to Card Sharks!
Hey, I remember, the diver said. Card sharks, yeah. That show where those people have to answer a bunch of questions then turn over these giant playing cards and win money or something. I used to watch that all the time as a kid when I was sick. I try to time the puking for commercial breaks. Johnny, Bob, Jim, Bill, Pat said, tell him what he's won. Well, diver, they're going to eat you now. Survey says, Bob, Jim, Bill, Pat said, you have four limbs and there is four and there are four of us. Perfect. The diver started to run through the kelp maze. Not easy to do at the bottom of the ocean. The sharks pursued as oblivious of the maze walls as Richard Dawson was of kissing boundaries on Family Feud. Here, the shark said, have some lovely parting gifts before we devour you. They scooped up diamonds and fired them at the diver through the gaps in the razor-sharp teeth. The diver bagged the diamonds. Shiny things, you know. If he was going to get eaten, he was at least going to make his devourer poop precious stones. Well, now what? With one eye on the sharks and the other on the vast expanse of... With one eye on the sharks and the other on the, va the vast expanse of sand and sea life ahead... The diver thought he could see spelled out in mollusks, in mollusks and coral, the end credits. This was not good. The diver swam frantically. The credits became clearer. The producer, the director, promotional consideration provided by... He climbed the words like a ladder. The last rung, Mr. Eubanks' wardrobe by Botany 500, appeared and the diver broke the surface of the water. Just as a voice called out, Remember to have your lobster spayed or neutered. And then, the little junior diver woke up. He was back on the velvet, day-glow orange family room couch from his childhood home in 1978, covered in meatloaf barf. Bob Eubanks was waving goodbye as card sharks ended on TV. It was all a dream. Not the meatloaf barf, unfortunately. That was odiferously real. The diver, the little diver was grateful for Sears Toughskin's wetsuit. Strength. The little diver was grateful for the Sears Toughskin's wetsuit he was wearing. But he was sure he'd been deep sea diving treasure hunting. Strike that. But he was sure that one day he'd be a deep sea diving treasure hunter. What else could he be in this outfit? He reached for the ginger ale with shaved ice that shimmered like diamonds in the glow of the swag lamp. Oh yes, he'd be a treasure hunter one day. He picked up the TV remote with two hands and walked a couple of steps toward the TV, pointing the remote at the precise point on the TV where the signal will actually be picked up. Wonder if Price is Right is on. The end. Or is it? on the turn of a single card. And before we start our game and before we meet our card sharks, I want you to meet our two lovely card shark dealers. And here they are. This is Susanna Williams and Lacey Pemberton. Let's deal the cards. We'll play this game and get going right now. While we're doing that, first of all, it'll be Lacey dealing the red cards in the top row to our returning champion. Susanna, the blue cards on the lower level, they're for our challenger. And while they're doing that, we will meet our card sharks. So bring them in if you would, please. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. 
You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers. Go now and hunt for it. Well, you've already found it. Go now and tell your fellow denizens of the deep to go now and hunt for it like relentless sharks. But remember, to attach Apple Podcasts with a shark bite-sized review of this show. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at the still-active Zazzle.com store. The website is ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Right, Mr. Orsi, Shadow Machine, and Nuttery? You can like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And, of course, you can go to Instagram and find all sorts of weirdness there. Don't forget to check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, for all your animated Peanuts gang needs. See that? Producers of Galaga TV show? I know about animation. I talk about it all the time. And, of course, there's lots of non-Peanuts-related stuff we talked about, too. The strips, obviously. The man, Charles Schultz, who created the the comic strip. The merchandise. The movies. We do it all over there. You love Snoopy. You know lots of people who love Snoopy. Go listen to this show and bring those other Snoopy lovers with you. New episodes drop on the 15th of every month. Next time on Atari Bytes. Oh, hey, look at this. It's not at all a coincidence that next week on the podcast, we're going to talk about Galaga, the 7800 version. So that'll be fun. Galaga is a great game. I really like playing it. And I'm looking forward to doing so on the 7800 and making up a story to go with it. Funny how that works. So, until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.